The scripture for this morning's message is Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. The title of the message is Comfort for Troubled Times. Before I read the passage, let me quickly explain the context. Isaiah chapter 39 ends with God announcing to King Hezekiah that the nation of Judah will fall to the Babylonians and the Jews will be taken captive. Troubled times lie ahead for the people of God. But immediately following that announcement, as chapter 40 begins, God gives the people a a, a message of comfort. God doesn't want the troubled times that they are going to face to leave them with troubled hearts. So he gives them a message of comfort. And what we're going to look at this morning is that message of comfort. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has been fulfilled, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received from the hand of Yahweh double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain, a broad valley. Then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. A voice says, Call out. Then he answered, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loving kindness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of Yahweh blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Raise up your voice powerfully, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Raise it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, Lord Yahweh will come with strength with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will shepherd his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs, carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Let's pray. God, your servants have gathered today to hear what you would speak to us. Let the message of this scripture become clear in the minds and hearts of this people. We ask it for your sake, O Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Molly Lee was on a flight from Charlotte, North Carolina to New York City. Next to her was a a woman who was very, very uncomfortable because of the turbulence of the plane. She was so scared, she actually began to cry. 
Well, one of the flight attendants noticed the woman. He could tell how uncomfortable she was. He could hear her crying. And so he immediately went to this woman to, to try to ease her anxiety, try to comfort her. And Molly said that the flight attendant was just so reassuring. He was so calming. And he said to her, you know what? I got you. I'm going to be here for you. Just tell me anything you need. But with every little noise, she would be like, what's that? What's that? Every little noise scared her. And the flight attendant would tell her, it's okay. And he would take the time to explain to her whatever the noise was. Molly Lee said the flight attendant, whose name was Floyd Dean Shannon, sat next to this woman for about 10 minutes, holding her hand and just reassuring her that everything was going to be okay. She was going to be saved. Our Father knows that in the midst of the turbulence of this life, we sometimes need comfort. We sometimes need Him to tell us that we're going to be safe. There is war between Russia and Ukraine. There is war between Israel and Hamas. There are genuine concerns with both North Korea and China. The possibility of a nuclear war in this world is more real today than it has ever been. Besides all of that, as a nation, we are drifting further and further from God, and that can only lead to disaster. In many ways, these are troubled times. And troubled times can leave us with troubled hearts. But in these verses, our Father is drawing near to us to comfort us. You see it in verse 1. It begins, Comfort, O comfort my people. As the people of Judah face the prospect of exile in Babylon, God sends them a message to alleviate their sorrow and their distress. He, he gives them a word of comfort to assure them, to hold them up in their days of trouble. Isaiah tells them, even though you are faced with troubled times, you can take comfort in knowing that the Lord is going to come and establish His glorious kingdom. You see, that's what this scripture is about. The message of comfort to these people is, God is coming to establish His kingdom, so take comfort. That's not just a word of comfort for the people of Isaiah's day. It's a word of comfort for you and I. Here's the message today. Followers of Christ, faced with troubled times, can take comfort in knowing He is coming to establish the kingdom of God. I want to show you from this text that the comfort we experience from knowing that Jesus is coming and, and the thought that he is coming should give us comfort. And that comfort doesn't rest on wishful thinking. Our comfort isn't based on some idea for which there's no real support. No, no, no. The comfort of Christ's coming rests on four realities. They're like massive pillars that, that support the weight of a building. These four realities give our comfort rock-solid support. And here's the first of those four realities. 
The comfort of his coming rests on the Savior's sacrifice. The comfort of his coming rests on the Savior's sacrifice. The comfort that you and I have from knowing that the kingdom is coming, that comfort wouldn't be possible without the cross. Look at what it says in verse 2. This is the message of comfort. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Speak to the heart. Sometimes some versions translate that speak tenderly. This is a message from God. These words are intended to be tender, not harsh. Remember, God is trying to comfort his people. He's not trying to criticize them. In the message of comfort, the tender words from God in verse 2, it consists of three parts. Here's the first part of that message. First, her warfare has been fulfilled. There are two possibilities of what this could mean. It could be speaking about literal warfare, literal war. If that's the case, what Isaiah would probably be referring to is the, uh, Judah's war with Babylon. Remember, he's just told them that they're going to be captured by the Babylonians and taken captive. Well, what, how that was going to happen is Babylon was going to come down and attack the nation of Judah. There would be a war. And so if he's saying your warfare has ended, he could be referring to that warfare between Babylon and Judah. But it's also possible that that word warfare could be referring to just a time of hardship. The New International Version translates it hard service. If that's the case, then what it's probably referring to is the coming time of hardship that the people of Judah would suffer while they were in exile in Babylon. But this is what I want you to say. Either way, whether it's referring to the war Israel would have with Babylon or whether it's referring to the exile they would suffer after the war with Babylon, the point being made is this. The, re the reason for both of those, the reason for the war with Babylon and the reason for Israel's captivity in Babylon was because of the people's sin. You with me? The reason God sent Babylon... To, to Judah to war against them was because they disobeyed God. The reason they suffered exile is because of their sin against God. But when he says your warfare has ended, what, what he's saying is, here's the message. The day is going to come when you're suffering that you suffer because of your sin. The day's coming when that's going to be behind you. The day's coming when you're going to be able to say what we have suffered because of our sin is going to be over. The day will come when you will suffer no more because of your sin. Oh, isn't that good news? When you think about all the suffering in this world is ultimately because of sin, believers have the comforting word that one day all our suffering, all the, the, the suffering caused by sin in this world is going to be over. But is God just going to pass over their sin? Is he just going to forget it? How is it going to be the suffering is going to end? No, it's, he's not just going to pass over it. Look at the second part of the message in verse 2. Her iniquity has been removed. The iniquity of God's people has been removed. The word has been removed in Hebrew is a single word, and it, it means paid for. It speaks of a debt that has been settled. You could say it this way. Your sin has been paid for. Sin has consequences. And the Bible teaches us 
that sin can only be atoned for. Sin can only be removed by an acceptable blood sacrifice. The wages of sin is what? Death. So only by blood sacrifice can the sin of the people be removed. And what he's saying here is the day's coming when all the guilt because of your sin, when the penalty that you do, that you are due because of your sin, one day all of this can be removed. That means somehow an acceptable blood sacrifice is going to have to be offered. Now, the people had been offering blood sacrifices for years, hadn't they? Yeah, they had. But yet their sin debt still wasn't fully and finally paid. Why? Here's why. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All those sacrifices they offered pointed to the need for a full and final sacrifice, but they were not sufficient. There's only one sacrifice that can fully and finally take away sin. Hebrews 10, verses 11 and 12. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Why did Jesus sit down? Because His work was done. On the cross, He suffered under the crushing weight of sin. By His death, the sinner's debt was paid in full. What God is saying is, one of these days, all that you're suffering because of your sin is going to be over because your guilt, because of your sin, the penalty your sin is due is going to be removed by the perfect atoning sacrifice of the Son of God. But that's not the end of this good news in verse 2. The third part of the message is this. She has received from the hand of Yahweh double for all her sins. Now, if you just read that, it sounds like God is saying He's going to punish the people of Judah double what their punishment should be. Well, that's not what it means. How do we know that? Because that would be unjust. Is God unjust? No, God's not unjust. God is perfectly just. Besides, remember verse 1, this is a message of comfort to the people. If he told the people that he was going to give them double punishment for their sin, would that be a message of comfort? No, certainly not. So what's he saying? What he's saying is, the price for your sin, the debt you owe because of your sin, is going to be paid and the payment given is going to be more than sufficient. You with me? Not, not just enough to cover the debt. Your debt's going to be overpaid. But who's the one that's going to pay it? Look back at the verse. She has received from the hand of Yahweh double for her sins. Who paid the price? God paid the price. In the person of His Son, God erased the sinner's debt. When Jesus hung on the cross, the sacrifice He's made wasn't just sufficient, it was way beyond sufficient. Let me say it to you like this. The death of Christ on the cross was more than sufficient 
to erase all past sin, all present sin, and all future sin. Not just enough, it was more than enough. Now remember the message here is that the people of God can be comforted because the kingdom is coming. What I need you to see is this. Our place in the kingdom would not be possible without the cross. You understand? How is it God can promise these sinful people that one day they're going to live in the perfect kingdom of God? He can make that promise because He's going to send His Son to erase their sin debt, to clean the slate, to make them right with God again. That's when I tell you the comfort we have because we know Christ is coming, that comfort is held up by the cross. That comfort is real, has real rock-solid support. And that support is what Jesus did on the cross. You may remember Jesus was crucified between two thieves, right? One of them in Luke 23, verse 42, said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this thief, criminal, wanted to be allowed entrance into the kingdom of God, but me and you have to be honest, he doesn't seem like a very likely candidate for entrance into the kingdom of God, does he? Do this. No, he doesn't. Yet Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. What? How is that possible? Here's a man whose life and death was a testimony to his wickedness. The way he died showed the world how wicked he lived. How can Jesus promise this man a place in his kingdom? Only one reason. Because as Jesus died on that cross, he paid that man's sin debt. The debt that man owed was being paid by Jesus. Listen, you and I take great comfort and knowing that one day the pain and sorrow of this world will be gone. But may we never forget that's only because of the pain and sorrow Jesus suffered on the cross. We take great comfort in knowing that one day we will go to heaven to live. But may we never forget that's only because one day Jesus left heaven to die. Yes, we will forever enjoy the pleasures of God's kingdom. Our citizenship has already been secured, but may we never forget that Jesus bought and paid for it with his life. Our comfort rests on the reality of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. There's a second reality that gives our comfort rock-solid support. The comfort of his coming rests on the Christian's preparation. We see this in verses 3 to 5. The thought that Jesus is going to return to establish God's kingdom indeed gives us comfort, but that comfort is only for those who are prepared, who are ready for His return. Verses 3 and 4, a voice is calling, Prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain, the rugged terrain a broad valley. 
This is similar to the edict a king might give. Suppose a king in that day was going to go on a journey. He might give a commandment to have a roadway prepared ahead of him before he took his journey. In other words, go and lower the high spots. Raise the low spots. Smooth out all the rough spots. Make it so that the road will be straight and smooth for the king to travel on. The point of that is to ensure that the king will arrive at his destination without any difficulty. Now, if you've read your Bible very much, you've been around preaching very much, you probably recognize this kind of language. Right? Make smooth in the desert a highway for God. Prepare the way. Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Mark's referring to the ministry of John the Baptist. What is John doing? John is telling the people to acknowledge their sin and repent in preparation for the arrival of Jesus. That's essentially what's happening in Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 4. God is telling the people, prepare yourself for my coming. But the preparation he's talking about is spiritual. Prepare yourself spiritually because the king is coming. That's what he means when he says, let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill made low. In other words, prepare the way because I'm coming. Spiritually, prepare yourself for the coming of Jesus. And verse 5 describes his coming. Then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. The glory of the Lord means the Lord in all His glory. In other words, the Lord is going to come. He's going to come in all His glory. Then He says all flesh will see it together. That means when He comes, it won't be hidden. It will not be hidden. It will be visible to all. You may have heard people. some people talk about a secret rapture. There's going to be nothing secret about the Lord's coming. It's going to be visible for all to see. All flesh will actually view with their physical eyes the majestic glory of God Himself. What is this coming that's being described? The New Testament makes it real clear what it is. Matthew 10, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with the angels. Mark 13, 26. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. The coming He's speaking of in verse 5 is the coming of Jesus to establish the kingdom of God. So let me summarize verses 3 to 5 like this. Get ready spiritually because Jesus is coming. Amen. Now, the message of the kingdom is comforting. But it's only comforting to those who are prepared for the day he comes. Matthew 25 verses 31 to 41. Let me read you just a portion of that. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... 
and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a picture of Christ coming in his glory to sit on his royal throne. And as you can see, it's a word of great comfort for one group, but it's not a very comforting day for the rest. It's comforting for those who are prepared. So who is the one who's prepared. The one who is prepared is the one who has repented and believed in Jesus. The one who has turned away from his or her life of sin, the one that has trusted Jesus, believed that he is the Son of God, who by his life, death, and resurrection has paid the price for your sin. Not just the person who did something once upon a time, but, but a person whose life is marked even today by repentance and belief. You continue turning away from sin. You continue holding on to Christ in faith. You look to him and trust him as your only hope of salvation and forgiveness. You have dedicated your life to following him as your Lord and Master. That person is prepared. That person is ready. That person can find comfort in the thought that Jesus is coming back. I long for the day my Lord comes. Why? Because I have been reconciled to God by the blood of His Son. I wait in great anticipation for the day when Christ will return and establish his kingdom on this earth. Why? Because I have been justified by faith in Christ and as a result of that, I now have peace with God. The thought that he could even come today soothes the sorrow and distress that life in this broken world can cause. Listen, for those who are prepared, there is real comfort and the knowledge that Jesus is coming. Let me show you the third reality that our comfort rests on. It's in verses 6 through 8. The comfort of His coming rests on the Lord's Word. The comfort of His coming rests on the Lord's Word. In verses 6 through 8, there is a contrast. The contrast is between mankind, that remains only for a little while, and God's Word, which endures forever. The point is, our comfort rests on the eternally enduring Word of God. Look what it says in verse 6. All flesh is grass, and all its loving kindness is the flower of the field. Flesh refers to humanity, people. All people are like grass. And then he says... 
All its loving kindness is like the flower of the field. Some versions say its glory is like the flower of the field. But the word in Hebrew is the word hesed. It's the word that's translated in the Old Testament, steadfast love. It refers to God's faithful love. But here he's talking about people, not God. So he's talking about the faithfulness of people. So look what he says. All flesh is like grass and all human all human faithfulness is like the flower of the field. What does that mean? Verse 7. The grass withers, the flower fades. Here's the point. People are like grass. They're temporary. They don't last. The faithfulness of people is like the bloom on a flower. It's not always going to be there. What he's saying is this. You can't depend on people to always be there because they won't. You can't depend on people to always be faithful because they won't. But look what he says. Verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. People come. And people go, but God's word remains. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word stands firm in heaven. Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Listen, God's word remains irrevocable and unchangeable. The devil can't alter it. Mankind can't erase it. Its power is undiminishing. Its beauty is unfading. Listen, long after the libraries of men are consumed in the fires of judgment day, God's word will endure. You know what that means? That means the promises of God cannot and will not fail. Everything he has said, he will will do you can't count on men to always be there and always be faithful but you can count on god's word i want you to imagine with me just a minute imagine an eight-year-old boy he's playing in his room his older brother sticks his head in the room and says hey we're all going to disney world this summer but the boy doesn't get as excited as you think he might well, the reason he doesn't is because his brother has been known to tell him things before that weren't true, just picking on him, playing tricks on him. So he has learned not to trust everything his brother says. Well, later that evening, the family's sitting at the supper table. Dad says, we've decided to take a family vacation this summer to Disney World. Now the boy begins to get excited. Why? Because he's learned that while my brother's word is not always reliable, when my daddy says something, you can count on it. What am I telling you today? When the father makes a promise, you can count on it. You can count on it. Listen, we don't take comfort in the promise that Jesus is coming because of the word of some preacher no, 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 no. Our comfort doesn't rely on some promises made by politicians. 
Listen, our comfort rests on a promise from God. Our comfort comes from knowing that He who promised is faithful and He will do it. What God has promised will come to pass. Think about it. Indeed, it must come to pass because the perfection of God's character demands that He do what He said He will do. His character won't allow Him to go back on His word. Our comfort rests on the enduring word of the true and living God. Jesus said, John 14, verse 1 through 3, Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also going to prepare a place for you. What I'm telling you is, you don't have to wait until that day comes to experience the comfort of that promise. You can count on what Jesus said. He's preparing a place for us. He's going to come back and bring us to where He is. Our comfort rests on the reality that that's a promise from God. And God's word cannot fail. It endures forever. The fourth reality that gives our comfort rock-solid support is found in verses 9 through 11. The comfort of His coming rests on the king's character. The comfort of His coming rests on the king's character. Think about this for just a minute. The comfort that Jesus is coming would be no comfort at all if He was coming as a tyrant king as a cruel monarch. But what we see in verses 9 through 11 is that Jesus is coming as our shepherd king. Verse 9, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Raise up your voice powerfully, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Raise it up, do not fear, Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Verse 9 is addressed to the people of Jerusalem as if they have been appointed God's messenger, God's bearer of good news. They're called to serve as God's herald. And he says, Go up on a high mountain. Why on a high mountain? Because he wants their voice to be able to carry over all the land. Raise your voice powerfully. In other words, really shout the Word of God, the good news. Get up there. Announce the news that God's given you without any fear, without any hesitation. And He says, speak to all the cities of Judah. Think about this. It's the people of Judah that God had promised them they were going to go into exile. They were going to be defeated by the Babylonians and carried into exile. Well, now God's telling the people of Jerusalem, say to all the people of Judah, the same people that are facing troubled times, give them this message of good news. What is the good news? It starts at the end of verse 9. Behold your God. Let me say it this way. Look. It's the Lord. He's coming. 
the good news is in two parts. First, he's coming as a mighty king. Verse 10, behold, Lord Yahweh will come with strength, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Here we have God pictured. He's coming as a mighty king. In other words, his coming will be marked by a powerful demonstration of his sovereignty. You see where it says, with his arm ruling for him. He's coming with strength, with his arm ruling. His arm represents his strength. In other words, he's coming to rule with absolute sovereignty. He is coming to reign as Lord and Master over his people and over the whole earth. And his strength will assure his victory. This is a picture of God's power. It's intended to give the people of God confidence that no earthly power is going to be able to resist him. It's a picture of a divine warrior whose power will easily defeat his enemies and rescue his people. Now notice the rest of verse 10, what it says. His recompense is before him. His reward is with him. What's that about? When Jesus comes as king, when he comes to reign, he will bring with him all of the benefits and all of the blessings that his victory has achieved. He's coming as a mighty king. He's coming in victory over sin and Satan and all wickedness and all evil and all the good that he has attained by that victory. He's bringing it with him when he comes. What's that mean? That means we who are his get to share in the spoils of his victory. All that he has achieved by his life, death, and resurrection, we're given a share in. When he comes as king, he's bringing it for you and I to enjoy. He's coming as mighty king. But I want you to notice, secondly, he's coming as a shepherd. Verse 11, like a shepherd, he will shepherd his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. He's not only coming with strength and mighty power, he's coming with the gentleness and compassion of a shepherd. He's going to lead his people. See, a shepherd does many things. A shepherd gathers the sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep. A shepherd carries the sheep when they're injured. He, he feeds the sheep. He nurtures the sheep. The shepherd basically cares for the sheep's every need. He has to be a provider. He has to be a protector. He has to be a nurse. He has to be a guide. And what the scripture is telling us is that when Jesus comes, he will come with the gentleness and compassion of our good shepherd and he will see to our every need. He'll protect us from every danger. He'll heal every hurt. He will provide for every need. He will be such a wonderful shepherd that every one of us will be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I need nothing. Now I want you to think about what these verses are saying. As our shepherd king, Jesus is going to reign with the perfect balance of strength and tenderness. You see it? Picture a lioness, a mighty mother lion. A predator has attacked one of her cubs. 
She instantly pounces on the predator. She sinks her deep claws into his back. She latches her powerful jaws on his neck and shakes the life out of the predator. And having eliminated the predator, she then goes to her wounded cub and begins to gently lick the wounds, begins to pull the cub close and nurse him. Can you picture that? Fierce in one moment, gentle in the next. She cares for her young with the fierceness of a lion and the compassion and tenderness of a mother. That's Jesus. That's our King. Unequaled in power and might, unlimited in gentleness and compassion. A mighty king and a loving shepherd. That's Jesus. Now, isn't that a comforting thought? In many ways, these are troubled times. And troubled times can leave us with troubled hearts. But followers of Christ faced with troubled times can take comfort in knowing that He is coming to establish His kingdom. Listen, church, our comfort doesn't rest on the hope that circumstances will turn out right. Our comfort rests in knowing that Christ is coming to set things right. Our comfort doesn't rest on the chance that America will return to her Christian roots? Our comfort rests in knowing that Christ will return to reign as King. That's where our comfort lies. These may be troubled times, but Christians don't have to live with troubled hearts. Why? Because the King is coming. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Bow your head.